I'm Rico. And I'm Jessica. And this is the Always the Critic podcast where a couple of friends review the latest movies, except we have zero qualifications to do so. Jessica, how are you doing today? I'm doing so good. I had a great weekend and next weekend is going to be even better because I'm going on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait. It's a beach vacation. So I, oh my God, the whole family needs this. It's a family vacation. I am just chomping at the bit to leave. I can't wait to go and just chill on the beach. Oh, it's private. It's going to be area. great. Just, yeah. I'm one of those people that like, when they go to the beach, I'm like, I don't want to see anybody else at the beach. I just want the beach to myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And that's what's going to happen in a week. So that's great. That sounds I'm great. Oh, I'm so excited. Awesome. I'm stoked. So today we are here to review a new movie, a comic book movie uh, from DC. Uh, <laughs> but before we get started on that. If this is your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. And if you do like us, go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars goes a long way for us. Come and say hi on social media and stay up to date on our latest episodes and reviews. You can find us on the Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at AlwaysCriticPod. Lastly, if you're a fan, please consider becoming a patron. It's a great way for you to get involved and show your support. You can check out the page on Patreon.com slash AlwaysCriticPod. And like I mentioned, a DC movie. Uh, we are going to review The Suicide Squad. Make the sure, yes, Suicide The Squad. Suicide Squad. Not to be confused with Suicide Squad from 2016 so uh this movie why don't you let us know about it jessica i will imdb synopsis reads supervillains harley quinn Bloodsport, peacemaker and a collection of nutty cons at bell reeve prison join the super secret super shady task force x as they are dropped off at the remote enemy infused island of cordomatis yes now this movie is directed by james gunn james gunn is the acclaimed director of Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, he got offered this role after his controversy over at Marvel when he was let go uh, because of some of his tweets. Like, he had a lot of jokes that were very insensitive or um, in poor taste, you can even say. Uh, but again, he apologized for that, you know, because... You have to apologize for everything nowadays. Oh, uh, yeah. But I, I understand where Disney was coming from. It was like, whoa, the, you know, there's some stuff here that you shouldn't be saying, you know, type he of thing. He got canceled at Disney. Pretty much. But I will say uh, it wasn't a full canceling because he will be back for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So, uh, so it wasn't really a full cancel. It was just like you're on timeout for a little while. While we get while this entire thing blows over is pretty much what it was. I don't want to stick my foot in it, but OK. <laughs> sure. Pretty much. <laughs> so uh, this movie stars, uh, I would say one or two people from the previous Suicide Squad. Yeah. Uh, that's Margot Robbie. She's back as Harley Quinn. And then Viola Davis reprises her role as uh, I believe it's uh, Waller is the last name i keep forgetting the first name uh but they are back reprising the roles and so is let me see joel kinnaman uh he's also back so three people are returning but then the rest of the cast is brand new uh 
most of the characters are gone from that first iteration that right. they did in 2016. So we're introduced to Idris Elba as Bloodsport, John Cena's Peacemaker, uh, Daniela Melquar as Ratcatcher 2, and a host of other people, which we'll get to uh, a little bit later on. Jessica, yeah. what did the critics and audiences have to say about this? I can't believe it, but it's sitting at a 92% Rotten Tomato score. And an 85% audience score. Yeah, it's a pretty high score. It's really high. The critics' consensus reads, Enlivened by writer-director James Gunn's singular skewed vision, The Suicide Squad marks a funny, fast-paced rebound that plays to the source material's violent, anarchic strengths. So, this movie has great word of mouth. Pretty much anywhere you go, you're going to get positive reviews on it. Now... Box office-wise, this movie did $26.5 million domestically, which apparently is a disappointing number. Because everywhere you read, they say either underwhelmed, disappointing, with this number. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess they were expecting something at least in the lower 30s for domestic, and they didn't live up to that mark. Um, I don't know how I feel about disappointing only because there's a couple of factors. Let's just say we compare it to something like Jungle Cruise that come, came out a couple weeks ago, right? Uh, that made 34 and that movie is PG, I believe, if not PG-13. So you have a wide audience who could see it. This movie's yeah. rated R. Uh, number two... You also have, like, recently, there is, and this is not a movie-related thing, this is more of pandemic-related thing, there has been a rise in COVID cases, so there's less people possibly going out to places, and so there's less people attending movie theaters, at least outside of Florida, let's just say it that way. Uh, and... So I can imagine why the number's a little lower. So I'm not going to sit here and say it's a disappointing number. I think there's like there's still things that you could grab from that because it still made 72 million worldwide. So it's still a bit of success. Again, another movie released at the same time on HBO Max. So a lot of things are contributing to this number. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, this is a failure. They should not make anything else from this because, it, you know, they're going to be fine. It's just a blip. <laughs> they're going to be fine. James Gunn's fine. Yeah. All these people will live on. Exactly. So now that we got all that out of the way, Jessica, what did you think of The Suicide Squad? Preface this by saying I did not watch the original Suicide Squad movie with all of that original cast like Will Smith and I don't know what Lizard Man and Viola Davis and Margot Robbie and all that. All and those Cara Delevingne. Cara Delevingne. <laughs> I didn't watch it at all. Just completely skipped over it. I have had my sister give me a play-by-play of the movie in her own way, which is hysterical it actually makes me want to watch the movie because she's berating it and like dissing it so like his funny that it's just like makes it funny oh it's it's you know a bad movie she's like it's like the worst movie i've ever seen but like the way she's explaining it it makes me think maybe it's not so bad 
<laughs> oh, man. I don't know. It's just like her humor is coming out through it, through her gotcha, uh, synopsis. But anyway, I came into this with very low expectations, maybe no expectations at all, because I would normally not go see a movie like this um, at all. I have no stake in James Gunn at all either. Like Guardians of the Galaxy is fine. It's really good, but... I'm not over here like this is the best Marvel movie I've ever seen or what have you. So coming into the Suicide Squad, I was just like, okay, let's see if it'll fly. And I think it did for the most part. The third act was probably (laughs) too bizarre and stupid for me to be like, wow, this is a five out of five or a four out of five movie. If you know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying. However, I think that the humor is there. The the cast is incredible. I remember leaving the theater and telling you guys, like, this movie is perfectly cast. They do a very good job of filling in uh, the archetypes with the actors and actresses just perfectly put into those archetypes. Mm-hmm. It's great. Um, one thing I will say is that the Margot Robbie casting of Harley Quinn has been perfect from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they decided we're going to scrap everything from the original except for Margot Robbie just <laughs> shows you just how like big of a role she has made this out to be. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we'll see more of her in the future. You know, DC is still trying to find its footing in this, you know, comic book war, which it's not really a war, a war. If yeah. if yeah, if only one side is winning. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? There's they are trying to get into the game, and so they need as many pieces as possible. And Margot Robbie is one of those pieces. She's great as Harley Quinn, as she has been in her previous iterations. Um, what do you think about the like specifically? Parts of the cast, like who really stood out to you? Uh, Idris Elba is good. Margot Robbie, awesome. John Cena, I think, was the big standout role of this movie. Is he's trying to steal the movie from the ensemble cast, and you know, wardrobe is doing their best to like make it happen <laughs> for him as well. Like, they put John Cena in the most ridiculous outfits, and for some reason, it totally works for his character. And I think it's done so well for John Cena that he's also getting like an HBO show as well. Yeah, there's as uh, Peacemaker. Pretty much there. I don't know if it's been like fully confirmed, but there's too much talk about it already. You know, like rumors and, you know, reports say. And so, yeah, we're going to get a Peacemaker show or something like that very soon. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, he is surprised. Okay, I don't think I should say surprisingly funny because we've seen him do comedic turns in other movies. Mm-hmm. But he is surprisingly funny in the moments that they give him. Just like some of the most outlandish lines that he does, <laughs> the physical comedy is there as well. Yeah. I think this is where James Gunn really thrives. Is I got to say, the fact that they basically gave him carte blanche. Like... This movie is singularly his movie, James Mm. Gunn. 
Like he got to do, it feels like whatever he wanted. Yeah. I, I told you guys, this is what complete creative freedom looks like. Yes. On a movie. Yeah. And it is, it's great to see that a studio is willing to at least give the director, Hey, do your thing, do your thing. We hired you to do this. Be yourself. We want your voice. We want your style. And give you the budget. Exactly. And so this is what you get. You get like a crazy, zany type of of movie. Yeah. Gory, violent action movie. Right. And I think for the most part, I don't know if you're in agreement with me. For the most part, I think it's a, a successful movie. Like I think it works throughout because of how... You you start just going for the ride as the movie goes along. You right. start turning yourself <laughs> over to the absurdity that you're watching. And you're like, yeah, no, no. Of course there's a character that can control rats, you know? And, you know, like crazy stuff like that. And we'll get to, you know, the the monster at the end of the movie. That's my main issue is like the monster of the movie. Okay. So we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that because... Uh, right. That wasn't really revealed in... No, no, no. That's definitely a so, spoiler. So we'll get to that in, in, a, in a couple minutes. So I'm going to use this opportunity, since you haven't watched the original Suicide Squad, I'll go ahead and just use it as an opportunity to compare the two. Okay. Uh, this one is so much better than, <laughs> than that original one. The first one is a editing disaster. It is terribly edited. Mm. I think I described it to you this way, uh, where the people at Warner Brothers basically were like, hey, we like that Guardians movie. We could do the same thing. And what they didn't do is they didn't see what made Guardians work. They just saw the superficial stuff on the surface. Mm. So they're like, oh, a ragtag group of misfits set to cool music on a soundtrack. And that's basically what they did. They basically <laughs> just grabbed characters, not understanding what these characters are or, you know, anything like that, and then tried to put, like, a really cool soundtrack behind them at, to make it work. And it is a failure. It is awful. And then the the final villain like the cgi is terrible there's some uh i okay i i just say that it's it's awful i don't know how much more i can say it's awful (laughs) without being repetitive so i'm just gonna leave it at that this is a huge upgrade in the dc canon um i i don't know if i would say out of like this DC extended universe that they're doing type of thing. I don't know if it's their best. I don't think it's their best movie, but it's still much better than a lot of the movies they've made. A lot of them. So that's my my turn there. Um, I'm pretty sure you've seen some of the DC movies, of course. Man I of think Steel. I've seen most of them. Yeah, you've yeah. probably seen most of them. Um, what is it? Aquaman, Man of Steel, mm-hmm. Batman versus Superman, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, Justice League, Justice League, Shazam, Zack Snyder's Justice League, um, Shazam. Yeah. So like, in in, in that like 
ballpark, where do you think this kind of falls? Like, which one has been your favorite so far? Has it been Wonder Woman or has it been something else? Look, I don't have favorite. Like, Well, no. I, okay, so let me rephrase the question. Which one do you feel has been the best of those movies you've mentioned? So i probably say Wonder Woman, Man of Steel, and Shazam. Are probably the best ones. Are the best ones to me. Gotcha. And Not so, that I'm sitting here rewatching these movies ever. But, fair enough. Yeah. But so would this is this a type of movie that would break into that group or is it below that? I think it would. I think it's one of those movies that if it's on TV, I'd be like, oh, it's the Suicide Squad. Like, I'll just leave it on. Gotcha. Oh, OK. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Which is high praise. That's high praise for you. <laughs> like because you usually do not Skip. waste your time yeah, with no. stuff like, oh, if something's on. You know, I'll watch it. Right. So (laughs) fair enough. So before we get into spoilers, because I think there's a lot we could talk about in spoilers, at least, you know, best scenes and, you know, what really works. And of course, the monster at the end. What did you give the score? I was very close to giving it a three and a half when I walked out of the theater. But I think now that I'm thinking of the third act, I'd probably give it a three. Gotcha. Five. I settled at a three and a half out of five. Okay. So we're very close. We're, we're close. Yeah. Um, and as the movie went on, or I'm sorry, as I've walked away from the movie more, there's a couple of things that I look back and think, oh, I don't know if I like that, or there's just too much of a certain thing going on for me, and, and we'll touch on what that is in spoilers. So right now, we're going to go ahead and talk about spoilers for The Suicide Squad, Right after this. The greatest trick. Houston, we have a problem. I am the father. I see dead people. The devil ever pulled. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Was convincing the world. You can't handle the truth. He didn't exist. Oh, what's in the box? All right, so let's go ahead and talk about spoilers for The Suicide Squad, (laughs) the newest movie by James Gunn. So where do you want to start? Do you want to start with... Let's start with the giant starfish that was the main monster. Starro the Conqueror. Starro the Conqueror. So I don't know anything about these characters. Like I said before, I've never read the comics, never saw the original Suicide Squad, the first attempt at this. And so when they brought out like this massive, what, like 20-story tall starfish from outer space as... The main villain, I was like speechless because it's so ridiculous. It is really ridiculous. And my sister, when I got home, she saw it on HBO, right? So we went to the theater and saw it. And then I came home. She had also seen it at home. And she goes, when that thing started shitting out like smaller starfish, (laughs) I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And I am inclined to agree with her. Like it definitely borrowed from the alien franchise because it had these tiny starfish latching onto people's faces and sucking them like face hugger style. Oh and God. Yeah. That was like just creepy as hell. It was creepy and it was comical and somehow lightweight at the same time. And I just, it was too, too much in both directions of like, Hey, this is kind of funny. And like also really 
dark and violent and I just didn't I didn't like that yeah this movie does try to walk a line of being trying to be very humorous but also being very gruesome gruesome callous in a way mm. um as i've walked away from the movie the the violence of the movie has not sat well with me yeah uh because sure look i, I get it you're making a rated r movie and it's going to be violent but like some of the violence is I don't know. It feels a little US too much. U.S. sanctioned oh, secret God, yes. experiments on people in this, well, political dissidents in this foreign country that smells very much like Cuba. Yeah. <laughs> and you have this, like, almost looks like a nuclear plant, but it's non-nuclear, housing the starfish and all the people that are dead but just walking around and still alive because of the face hugger that's attached to them yeah and the face hugger is attached you know i guess telepathically to the giant starfish yeah so now it's also like a mouthpiece for the giant starfish conqueror thing and that reminded me of independence day where the alien like latches on to the scientist and the scientist starts speaking yeah what the alien wants them to to know and it's just again i'm not faulting it for being derivative i'm just saying what the fuck is going on like i don't i don't know what to feel here because it almost seemed like they didn't know how the audience would take it yeah. It, like, look, what's your goal for this? Right. Like, do what's you want the us goal? to feel afraid of the starfish? Do you want us to feel um, kind of in awe of the starfish alien thing? Do you want us to feel bad for the people that it's killing indiscriminately? Do you want us to feel like it's very imposing? Like, it's almost a no for all of those things. Yes. And just a big question mark. It's a big question mark. I don't Do you know want us to laugh was... at the starfish? Because I wasn't laughing either, but it was ridiculous. Like, I, I don't know. Right, because you're not... I don't know how to feel about it. Because at, at first I thought, oh, this entire thing is crazy and I'm, I'm laughing. But the circumstances of that final battle <laughs> are right. not necessarily that funny. No. Because he's like terrorizing this city and taking all these people's bodies captive. Right. You know? And so... And it never like like what was the actual goal of the starfish doing that? Like I thought it would basically like assimilate their bodies at some point. Like why, how is it getting bigger? I don't understand. Like I think with all those like giants um, drinking their energy, is it like feeding off of the people that it's attached to? It was very these are great questionable. Questions. Like I don't know why it's getting so big. Right. I think they they explained that. As like more of those, um, what he is excreting out to the face huggers, the more of those that it excretes, the more it can expand because it's taking like on a host, you know, so like it can expand itself. That's how they kind of explain it. Uh, I don't really follow it, but okay, sure. Um, yeah, so that that entire third act is so crazy because. The movie 
doesn't feel like it's leading you up to anything like that. Mm-hmm. The movie does feel for as crazy as like the names and like the powers that some of these characters have for as crazy as some of that stuff is, it still feels somewhat like real grounded, grounded in a way, because mm-hmm. it's not like they're flying. It's not like they're, you know, right, right, right. zapping people with yeah, like yeah. their mind. No, it's like these are people like they have guns, they have mm-hmm. weapons, they're out here fighting humans and stuff like that. Um, and then all of a sudden this third act appears and it is just bonkers what is happening. And it's this giant creature from space and they have to bring it down. And it's the size of, you know, like a 20 story building, basically, you know, it's a little, it's a little much to, to wrap your head around. Uh, I will applaud the boldness of trying this. At least because I don't think like something like this you could get away with like at Marvel because Marvel, you you think the space worms from the first Avengers are not in the same vein as a giant starfish from space. Not exactly. I'm here to to drag equally Marvel. No, that's fair. I know you are. (laughs) I don't know if it's like equally there, but I can understand your point. Like they have like similar a uh, concept of like being like these space worm type of things. I I totally get it. Um, for some reason I don't know why, but it does feel like the way Marvel introduced those characters, like those beings, like just felt a little more natural in the story versus the way it was introduced in this. Uh, this and also on top of that, they the had design, like this found footage backstory for the starfish, right? They do. But on top of that, the design of this monster is just so cartoony. Like it's <laughs> a star. F- yeah. Giant <laughs> eye. It's a starfish, all colorful and everything. So like it kind of is hard to take it seriously. But yeah. I think that's probably the goal is like. It had no mouth. It had just no had mouth. a giant eye. It, like all it did was smash. Yeah. Things just smash and things and walk around. People, like, and then again, using their like, body as hosts for whatever he was trying to do, I guess. Yeah. So I think you and I are in somewhat agreement that the third act is a bit weird hokey. or a little, yeah, hokey is a word. And then let's talk about how they brought it down because I thought that the staff or the, sorry, the spear that the Jago Robbie. Oh, sorry, Javelin, that mm-hmm. she inherits from that other superhero that died in the first five minutes of the movie was going to play a bigger role. Like she was like, I don't know why he gave this to me and it's supposed to be for a bigger purpose and all this stuff. And then she's like, I know why he gave me the Javelin now. I know why this is here. And instead of her like actually using the Javelin in some supernatural way to defeat <laughs> the starfish, she just pokes a hole in the eye. Yeah. So that rats can come in to the eyeball and start eating away at the connections and flesh that's on the in part, in, inner part of the eye, of the giant eye. And that was stupid as shit. I thought it was going to be, <laughs> I thought it was going to be like she slashes an, a leg off the thing and she, or she 
slits the eye open and like all the juices come out or something to that effect. But no, she's like, she lands herself squarely in the fluid of the eye and the rats come like, do you not think that rats can just cut like get into the eye regardless of her using the javelin to to create an opening? Like to me, I'm like, the rats can chew through electrical wire. I mean, exactly. there's like it can get into the eye. Those things can get into the eye without the javelin. So it was just kind of dumb. She doesn't really do anything with the javelin when she's no. inside the eye. Like, ugh. no, she doesn't. So some wasted opportunities there uh let's let's rewind and let's look at the let's go to the first, first part of the movie of yes movie. because we are introduced to michael rooker's character correct and michael rooker seems to be like a badass and you know it looks like he's been used for multiple missions by mm-hmm. waller and so they're dropped off at a beach and we're introduced to the entire squad here we're introduced uh Margot's back. Uh, Joel Kinnaman's Rick Flag. We have Captain Boomerang, who was also in the first Suicide Squad, and then we're meeting a host of people. We have uh, Weasel. Weasel. We have um, what's his name? Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson. Uh, yeah, Blackguard. We are TDK, which is Nathan Fillion's character, where his arms can basically come detached from his body. <laughs> Uh, Javelin, we meet Javelin. So we meet a host of characters, and they're about to do a mission. And in the first five minutes of this movie... They get slaughtered. They get slaughtered. They pretty much get taken out. Like, uh, Pete Davidson's face gets shot off. Um, You have TDK gets shot up like crazy. Uh, Mongol, which was like this alien looking girl like mm. tries to take down a helicopter by herself and then just completely crashes it and burns alive fire. she ignites and is screaming bloody murder because she's dying of yeah she's dying you know being uh, a human fireball exactly and that is the, the apparently there were two missions and that was a distraction side Rick Flag and Margot Robbie were on the distraction side on the B team <laughs> on the B team and then the A team with Bloodsport Peacemaker, uh, what's it, the Polka Dot Man and the Rat Polka Catcher. Man and the Rat Catcher. Rat Catcher 2, by the oh, way. Oh, sorry, Rat Catcher 2. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're safely getting onto the beach so they can complete the real mission. So that was wild. And I was so, su- well, first off, I was surprised that they did it. And at the same time, I wasn't as surprised because I told you when I saw the trailers, yeah, they showed them. But I noticed that they didn't have that many scenes with, like, Idris Elba, John Cena. Like, those guys weren't really interacting that much with, like, Pete Davidson and them. So I was like... Something's up. Something's up. And as, like, the mission is starting, the first thing that happens is Weasel jumps and he can't swim. (laughs) So, like, he's drowning. So I was like... Are they about to do something here? Are they about to like yeah. start killing some people off here? Drew Barrymore, the whole of <laughs> the B team. <laughs> they pr- pretty much did. <laughs> they pretty much did. So, yeah, I found that to be great. I thought that was great because you don't need to, you know, focus on that many characters. So I'm personally very glad that like Pete Davidson wasn't in the whole of this movie. 
Personally. Uh, my sister's and then I didn't boyfriend have was to the watch, same way. Yeah. And then I didn't have to watch this weird, gross looking weasel throughout the whole of the movie making gross little like hacking noises and things like ugh no I just didn't like those characters to begin with and then Michael Rooker also bites the dust because he deserts the team it is so gruesome people dying left and right he literally turns tail and swims back to the open ocean and they <laughs> Viola Davis sets off the charge that's in his neck and like boom yeah headless that's gone. it it's over that's the end of his character yeah, that's pretty wild that they got all these famous people doing all this press and tour for. <laughs> that's what for, my sister was saying. I know. For like minutes of footage, and she's like, please. Five minutes you're te- of footage. You're telling me this whole big cast, and like they all die in the first five minutes. Like, get the fuck out. <laughs> fantastic. I, 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 that's what I'm going to say. It's fantastic that they did that. I think you, you were more entertained than I was. I was kind of shocked. Mm-hmm. I was definitely more entertained by that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I was like, oh, they're really doing this. They're actually going to go. <laughs> but just I have no connection to these characters. And, and they, the way that they framed Michael Rooker, like he starts the whole movie and you're just like, OK, they're putting a lot of steam behind Michael Rooker. He's going to be one of the main crew and no no not even close not even close (laughs) actually i feel like the audience is supposed to sympathize the most with rat catcher 2 it feels like with the way um they frame her they frame her as the the young one yeah exactly uh that's the character that i feel like james gunn when he wrote this movie really used her as the vehicle for having a heart for this team for you know they're not just like a bunch of screw-ups they you know they they have a purpose type of thing um i think she hasn't really done too much that girl uh she's, she's from portuguese Portugal? yeah so this is like her you know big break so good for her that that was a nice um so they so this is an interesting thing for me they basically replaced Will Smith with Idris Elba because the characters that they play are very, very similar. Um, They both have deadly accuracy. They both carry a bunch of weapons. So it felt like... uh, They make fun of that in the movie because she introduces John Cena's Peacemaker with the exact same piece of dialogue that she just said for for Idris Idris Elba's (laughs) Bloodsport. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> you you said that I'm so unique and I'm a leader and all this stuff, and you literally have another guy that does the same thing as me. And then he was like, "Yeah, but I do it better." <laughs> John Cena. John Cena throughout this movie has some of the most ridiculous lines that he just knows how to turn into a funny bit. Like when <laughs> when they're like it's early in the morning and they're about to like invade the camp where a bunch of like you know soldiers are at and the when he basically is like i love peace i don't care if i have to kill every man woman and a child to get it (laughs) and it's like the the seriousness that he delivers that line with how ironic the line is like i want peace i'll do anything for it i'll kill to get it yeah exactly (laughs) it's so ridiculous so 
that'll be an interesting character to follow if if they do end up making the show that they end up making. I mean, they brought him back at the end. Yes, in the post credit stinger. Post-credits, yeah, he's alive still. He didn't die. So my guess is he'll be that anti-hero type of character. He'll he'll get his hands dirty, you know, while still doing whatever interest for Waller. You know, that's my guess for what the character is. Um, let's see. So. What would you say was your favorite moment in the movie, if you if you have one? Do you have a favorite moment in this movie? Um, <laughs> do I have a favorite moment? The answer is no. Okay. But I'll just name some things that were really great. So John Cena coming out in tidy whities Oh, my God. <laughs> that really got like the audience. So, yes, it got me, too. I was, like, not expecting it. And he comes out. Of course, he's still, like, super ripped. Although he's leaner and not so like huge anymore. But uh, that goes back to the comment that I made before spoilers that the wardrobe was like, you're giving me John Cena to clothe. Thank you. And like does the most that they possibly can with this character. Later on, he's in the club and he's wearing a tiny shirt. Fantastic. With like shorts. (laughs) That was great. I loved it. I loved it. It just complimented the character so well. Like it does not matter. No. What he's wearing, yeah. <laughs> and just having him in the most outrageous outfits possible throughout mm-hmm. the movie. Like the helmet that he's wearing. Oh, like, that helmet just... is so dumb, but it, oh it's gosh. so funny seeing it. And then <laughs> like his outfit, you know, this bright red and right in the middle is like he's a piece dove. <laughs> it is all around. Dove. Yeah, the piece dove. It's all around was so funny. Uh, let me ask you this. Let's go to Bloodsport, Idris Elba's character. They give him a nice screaming match at the beginning of the movie with his daughter. They do. I was going to ask you, uh, how do you feel about that storyline of ha- you know him having a daughter and you know him being a shitty dad type of thing? It was fine. I kind of believed it more than like he's an outstanding father and will do right. anything to like save his daughter. He's just kind of like doing the bare minimum as a father. And really doesn't want his daughter to follow in his footsteps and, you know, live a life of crime and be in trouble. And so I kind of liked the way that they took it. It was jarring nonetheless, because you're in here to watch like antiheroes come together and save the world. And he's over here like cursing at his daughter, dissing the mom that she had and just being generally awful to her. So I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't expected, but it was fitting. I don't think it was necessary, actually, because I feel like you could have easily because basically this entire story of involving his character does an entire like, you know, 360 or whatever, 180, whatever number you want to use. It does like this thing where he's irredeemable at the beginning. And then he redeems himself at the end by becoming a hero, quote unquote. And then, you know, his daughter's like, that's my dad. You know, he's the one that yeah, saved all these people. Literally tells him that she's embarrassed of him to have him as a father. I don't know if it was necessary to have it. I get it. You want to establish some type of personal connection for the character. Like, why is he doing this? He could have easily done this just 
as like you know he found companionship in these ragtag people that he is now friends with and i put that in quotation yeah, i really mark. don't feel as strongly as you do about the yeah no i know i'm just saying like father daughter bit of the story that's fair it was just thrown in there just to give him something let's talk about margot robbie taking out one of the or the president of this country luna i thought that was stupid that entire scene like I, I didn't like that oh the way More she took than, him out no just like the whole thing oh, like the why entire- is the guy like after harley quinn like that doesn't make any sense to me no that didn't make any sense either because if you're gonna He's like okay like- i'll save her she was first of all the uh the army or whatever from the country finds her sticks her in a ditch looks like they're about to execute her and then they're like here here's a put this on and gives her the bright red dress which smelled a little bit like parts of the caribbean a little bit where they like have cura and they make her put on a dress and all that shit take her take her to the leader (laughs) (laughs) and the leader ends up being this wildly attractive younger man who staged this coup and executed the entire um family of that original like dictatorship Right. Kill children and was generally horrible. And they strike up this like flirtation and they have this wonderful day. And she has like, she goes to a birdhouse with beautiful birds of paradise in it. And it's very charming. And like, this is in the middle of a Suicide Squad movie. And they have like violent sex all over the palace. And then she like offs him because he offers her marriage. And she's like, you're very problematic. (laughs) And like, offs him. Yeah, just offs him. Goes it's kind of like, monologue. I have terrible taste in men, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, as soon as you killing children is the line you can't cross and all this stuff. Exactly. Um, so this is the double edged sword of giving a director creative freedom is that they do what they want and they put in stuff into a movie that maybe isn't necessary. So like this section of the movie Felt yeah, it was so, a meanwhile section. Yeah, and it felt so superfluous for this entire story. Like, you don't need her to be, you know, fall in love or, you know, have this romantic fling with this guy. Because honestly, you could take that out and just have her captured by, like, the general character. And then she's she's captured, and that's it. Like, you don't even need that entire section. And then the exit is still the same, where she... Yep. She's able to guns blazing. Exactly. And that was amazing. Right. So you can still have all the same thing, but that entire romantic subplot totally unnecessary Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. for this story to continue to progress. It it does nothing for the plot. It was like, how do we get her in a beautiful red dress that like feels very cool on screen to look at? Exactly. That was basically what I felt that whole piece of the plot was the reasoning for it. Yeah, we need to get her into this exciting outfit. costume change <laughs> costume that being said i heard that she actually so when she's finally questioned by that other general like the older gentleman who's also like awful yes she did that whole like leg escape herself herself yep and that were, i turned to you guys in the theater and i said lethal weapon mel gibson <laughs> <laughs> because he does the same thing does the same thing with his like kill somebody with his legs 
Yeah. So oh. yeah, she does the but that's entire amazing. thing. That was fantastic. She, that whole exit. She reaches for the keys with her with, with her, her feet, and she's and able to like flip her legs up to like. Mm-hmm. And she did that all on camera. Yeah. That that's is amazing. yeah, that's pretty amazing. Margot Robbie. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh, so I will say that this movie overall, I think is is a fun movie. There's some stuff like. Here's a beat that I think is really funny. So it's between Bloodsport and Peacemaker. They're going into that rubble camp. Yes. And they just start offing people left and right. And then (laughs) they get more creative with the way that they're offing people. Like John Cena shoots a fan that falls into a tub that a guy is in and electrocutes him. That's one way. Uh, again, John Cena, like with like his axe, he just like chops at someone a few <laughs> times that they're laying that down. That was the most shocking one. That one was wild to me. <laughs> and you're, the audience is like, ah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, and then he also gets a third one. He gets a third one where he shoots a guy without looking, hits him. The guy hasn't died. And <laughs> Bloodsport's like, that one doesn't count. It's non-lethal. Non-lethal. <laughs> and immediately... Uh, Peacemaker's like uh, it. It has a exploding round. A, a exploding <laughs> round, and then poof, the top of the top half of his body is blown to bits. I thought all of that was funny, and then on top of that, once they get to the part where they're trying to save Rick Flag, they realize this is my friend. She's helped me, and they're trying to overthrow the government. And they, these are the freedom we fighters. All realize <laughs> at the same time. Oh no, they just killed the freedom fighters. <laughs> the good guys the good guys so i Ugh. found that entire sequence to be funny and like mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. shocking and and surprising so that one was pretty yeah. good um, oh my god we missed a huge character sylvester stallone okay let's talk about him because he plays a shark who might might be some sort of old god they don't even know what he is king shark is the name of the character so king shark has first of all he's like mildly funny throughout yes and uh tries to kill daniela melchior like she's about to be eaten by him (laughs) in her sleep in her sleep (laughs) and they stop him they all become friends but later he has like in the nuclear plant where the starfish is kept there's like a floor that's an aquarium yes and there's these creatures in there that are interacting with him yeah what the hell was that about? I couldn't tell. I I don't know what creatures those were. I I can't tell you because I have never read a Suicide Squad comic. I don't know if that's a character in the comic or is it something he made up. James Gunn was like, oh, let's have like these jellyfish creatures that look really cool and can make friends with him from inside the tank but and then, then start eating him once when, they're out. Once they're outside of the tank. So I don't I don't know. I don't know. I I did find that he had some fun bits and they also tried to make you like (laughs) have those awe moments for him because Mm -hmm. like when the rest of the crew goes into the club to try to find the thinker like he's like alone in the van. So like, you know, you kind of like feel sad like, oh, he doesn't get to help out. Yeah, Tiburon can't come out. (laughs) So, uh, there's another character I want to touch on before 
we kind of get the polka dot man. No, the polka dot man. Yeah, because I think, he had a great running gag. Yes, he did. In yes, that he did. he's like, oh, I mess up in the head. I see my mom everywhere, and you're just like, okay. But then they visualize it for the audience and show from his point of view what everyone looks like, and it's literally his mom everywhere. Yeah, so like Peacemaker, Bloodsport, all the characters are his mom (laughs) dressed up as those characters. So I loved it. Yeah, I I thought it was a great gag. Like uh, another one when they're in that uh, gentleman's club and he's dancing with all these women that are around him and then they visualize it and it's just his mom in all those different outfits. Yes. I thought that was also a great gag. And then finally, the biggest one is the giant starfish. When he looks up at the giant starfish, it's just a 20 story version of his mom. (laughs) And so rampaging through the city, rampaging through the city. So I think overall that was a funny gag. I think the polka dot, like he had like a, uh, not an infection. He basically has a reaction that if he doesn't excrete the polka dots, uh, you know, he becomes infected and then he can, you know, die pretty much. And they visualize it very gruesomely by turning his face like with all these bumps and lumps that are Mm -hmm. colored. And then at one point we don't see him like fully, but like you see he goes into the woods to basically vomit out all this polka dots that he has. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. But again, this is like weird stuff that sometimes comes out in comics. You know, when somebody is like, "Uh, what if we make a man who has polka dots and can throw them and it destroys stuff? You know, like, (laughs) and then nobody says no. Somebody is like, like, yeah, no, that just sounds great. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So did we catch everything in this movie that we, I think we hit up pretty much every major beat. The last, I think the only beat is involving uh, Peacemaker is that they have proof of the experiments that are being done on people through this whole star thing with the thinker. And that's when peacemaker kind of turns on the team. There's a separate objective, you know, make sure none of the footage or none of the information gets out. Uh, so that's where Rick flag, you know, has his uh, battle of self-conscious. Like we need to show people. And so we lose Rick flag and we lose him in a kind of gruesome way because uh, he gets stabbed with a tile and then the tile goes into his heart and then they show the inside of his body with the heart with the yeah. tile stabbed in. I was like, not necessary, my friend. But again, James Gunn. I like his final line because he said, Peacemaker, what a joke. Yeah, that was a good one. And then keels over. And keels over. Yeah. Yeah, overall, this movie is uh, crazy. So I would say... Well, first off, if you're listening to all this, we've spoiled a lot of it. But if you're still going to watch it, go in with knowing that there is some crazy stuff that happens in the movie. Yeah, and, gnarly. And on top of that, this is a singular vision. This, he is the only writer on this movie, James Gunn. So like, mm-hmm. he clearly wrote something that he... This is his vision. His vision for what these characters are. Some of it is really good some some of it doesn't work some of it is a little too crazy some of it is right on but again i appreciate when a director I think is the allowed dialogue is really strong throughout yes but the overall plot and the third act 
It, it it gets not. a little too wild. Yeah. And it could be, you know what I would wish? I really wish that, and there is a Marvel property that has done this, but I really wish that a movie like this, these comic book movies, would stray away from the third act turning into this wild battle, giant ass battle, and mm-hmm. zero it in on a tiny, well, not tiny, but smaller, more intimate moment of yeah there can still be like a fight but not this grandiose we're going to destroy the city type of thing i think the better um fight at the end of the movie was between uh the human dude you just said his name he died with the heart flag rick flag and peacemaker that was a great like fight and then also peacemaker versus bloodsport yeah was a great what um fight as well well that, not fight but like yeah. showdown that honestly you can build your you can final, end the movie with yeah, that you can build that exactly that can be your centerpiece of your third act mm-hmm. and it would be satisfying because of the way they lay out the fight and the way they lay out the stakes of what's involved right so everything after that is just you know i wouldn't say unnecessary it's just a creative choice i would not have made just going with let's destroy the city with this giant monster that's not yeah. really fun they even make that's a joke th- of it because one of the uh, viola davis's people they go there's a fucking kaiju yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and they it's do like, yeah <laughs> they do reference it because that that's what it feels like a lot of these action movies or let me rephrase that um Movies that have been after the year 2000, like these giant set piece movies, involve some type of destruction of some kind. And I think it's not necessary to create an engrossing, enticing movie. You don't need to do that. And I think studios have been relying on that. It's like, hey, look at all this money we spent on screen creating Mm -hmm. this giant destructive piece. It's... Mm -hmm. Because as movies progress, like at the beginning of a movie all the way to the end of the movie, they feel like they have to ramp up to like a giant thing at the mm-hmm. end. The climax has to be explosive and yeah. giant. And and it's I don't think it needs to be because yeah. real quick, I'm going to do spoilers for uh, Loki for a second for people who have not watched Loki. So if you take Loki at. At its premise, it's six episodes, but it's just one giant story, right? And so as the show goes along, episode five has like a big moment, a big monster that they're kind of like trying to handle. But then episode six, which is the final episode, it is an intimate setting. It is three Mm -hmm. characters in a room pretty much talking the entire time. And... It is. It felt more captivating than when they were dealing with the monster in the previous episode, mm. because of the nature of the story, where they could take the story, the conversations mm-hmm. that they were having. Yeah. So not everything has to end on this boom bam, you know, world ending type of event. Mm. You don't have to do it. And then on top of that, the more we see that in movies, especially comic book movies, the more desensitized we become because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, what makes this big bat you know, this big battle special 
you know? Mm-hmm. So like something from the first Avengers, that was like a world changing event. But then we see another world changing event in, you know, Thor. And then we see it in Iron Man and then we see in Captain America. And it's like, then what made that it doesn't one, matter at the end of the day. Right. Because they're all going to be able to do the same exact thing. They're all going to deal with these big ass battles with big giant monsters or a big CGI fest. Yeah. The bigger implication of the story was those one-on-one character interactions where now you don't have a character rick rick flag or whatever it's done with the story and he was a great character and then you also lose peacemaker for a second but i mean that was a huge loss for the movie as well because you've been with this character more than you've been with the starfish exactly and the starfish i wouldn't say comes out of nowhere because they like feed the information as the movie goes along but right you don't really engage with the character until the final act Mm -hmm. the final act is when everything gets revealed and all this you know stuff starts going down and but by that time to me the real enemy is like viola davis and her secret government bullshit yeah that's the real like enemy that they're trying to rage against yeah you know the person that can off them at any moment and Not they, the starfish. <laughs> they even plant those seeds with the characters that work under Waller because she, you know, threatens Idris Elba's um, daughter. You know, daughter saying that, you know, she'll be tried as an adult and she'll go to this prison and we don't know what can happen to her. So right. and, and then even her underlings are like, you're not you're not going to do that right? with that. Right. And she's like, you don't know what I'll do. And so. That again, like you said, that seed is planted that she's the real face of villainy in the suicide squad. And then by proxy, Peacemaker is the vehicle for her to carry this out Mm -hmm. because she's the one that gives him the secret objective during the mission is like, make sure this information does not get out Mm -hmm. by any means. So, Which again, oh my God, it reminds me of Alien because the ship mother Mm -hmm. is like Viola Davis and then the android is like peacemaker yes pretty much yeah yeah that's they're in on it together they're in on it together that's actually a good uh good description of that so i think there's there's good things to glean from this movie there's moments that i would revisit not the entire movie but moments um but overall i enjoyed myself for the most part in this movie for sure uh it's a good action summer action movie to you know really escape with in the theater uh and again dc giving a chance to james gunn let him do his own thing and uh we'll see what he does with guardians 3 when he comes back for that in 2023 volume 3 volume 3 which we'll see uh the guardians are going to be at least partly inside thor love and thunder for a little bit at least so they're continuing a little bit of a story there uh overall i think you we both kind of enjoy this but i think that's pretty much it i don't think we have much more to say (laughs) (laughs) so with that said if this is your first time listening thank you for giving us a shot here on always the critic podcast uh go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app apple spotify google we're on all of them check it out subscribe if you have subscribed give us a five-star review it goes a long way for our show you can always follow us on the socials 
at AlwaysCriticPod, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and the TikTok. We're on all four of them. And finally, if you've done all of that and you're a fan of the show, please consider becoming a patron. It really goes a long way for us to be able to continue to create more content for you guys. So that is patreon.com slash AlwaysCriticPod. And with that said, that has been our episode. I'm Rico. And I'm Jessica. And this has been the Always the Critic Podcast.